All right, Philippians 1, verses 12 through the beginning of verse 18. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way... Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, the word of God stands forever. So I'm going to pray for us as we begin to look at it tonight. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we just have sung, we are, even whether we acknowledge it or not, we are evil. Uh, We come into this world evil. We're born in sin. And yet, Father, we know you to be a gracious God to whom we can come for renewal, uh, to to have our hearts changed. And so, Father, we pray that 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 would happen tonight, Uh, maybe for the first time or maybe just again. And so, God, we ask that you would be here with us tonight, that you really would be here by your Holy Spirit, and that as your word goes out tonight, that it would be powerful, and that it would change our hearts. And we uh, ask this in your son Jesus' name, amen. So I used to to do a lot, a fair amount of fly fishing, mainly when I was uh, in college, and then just after college, I worked on a ranch um, in Montana for three summers, which... Probably makes me sound a lot cooler than I am, but uh, it was pretty fun. And so I got to do a lot of fly fishing. And one of the first times that I I went out there not knowing how to fly fish, so one of the first times that I went with our fly guide, as he was teaching me to fish, um, standing there with him, and he says, you know, something like, "Look, you see this fish right here?" And he's pointing in the water, and I look, and no, I can't see the fish. And he says, "Oh." wait, here, you put, put these on, and he hands me his sunglasses. So I take mine off, and I put on his polarized sunglasses, and I look, and sure enough, there it is, pretty much clear as day, fish, right? So if you have polarized sunglasses, you're, you're aware of the difference. Uh, you know that, um, so that's why they're, uh, they're pretty integral uh, to fishing, uh, if, especially if you're sort of sight fishing, right? Want to see a fish, want to catch that one. Um, because once you can see what's going on, once you can see what's really there, that's going to change a lot about how you approach the situation, right? It's going to change how you fish. Um, polarized glasses, evidently, I don't completely understand it, but basically they filter out uh, what comes, you know, certain light that comes to us is glare, and so what we see is a whole lot clearer. And now this semester, so why, why would I tell you that? Well, this semester we are studying through the book or letter of uh, Philippians. And it's a book that's filled with joy. It's a letter by Paul written to this church in Philippi, these Philippians. 
And he's writing to them fundamentally, I think we could say, he's writing to them about joy. And so this semester, we're looking at each week, we're seeing, we're we're getting a little glimpse of real joy in the midst of real life and what that looks like. And in this passage, Paul is basically saying, look, despite the way things might look about life, particularly the fact that he's in prison for the sake of the gospel, despite the way things might look, there's actually good news. I want you to see what's really going on in life. It's almost like Paul gives us uh, gives the Philippians and gives us kingdom glasses right? that we can put on that filter out everything else but what's really going on in the world, what's really going on for the kingdom of God so that we can see it clearly, kind of like the polarized sunglasses. And so he gives us these, these uh, kingdom of God glasses. And what he's showing us in this passage that I want us to see is he's basically saying, look, The truth of, here's the truth. God is advancing the gospel no matter what it looks like. No matter what circumstances look like, no matter what the world around you looks like, what's going on with me, God is advancing his gospel. And Paul says that truth, it brings him great joy and it should bring us great joy. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Three things about the truth that God's at work to advance the gospel. First, we're going to look, basically, why should that be so important to us? Why should that matter? Secondly, how does it change how we see our circumstances, particularly our suffering? And thirdly, how does it change how we see ourselves, or maybe how, how do we see our reputation? So first, why should the fact that the gospel is advancing... Why should that be important to us? Because it, it seems, you know, it's clear from this passage that, that that fact is the most important thing to Paul in life. The fact, he finds great joy and comfort in the fact that God is going to, to advance his kingdom. He's going he's gonna to advance the gospel no matter what. And that matters everything to Paul. And so as I was studying this passage and thinking about it and thinking about how, how are we going to talk about it and teach it, one of the, uh, one of the main things that kind of kept coming, to, I kept thinking about is, in a sense, why, why does that matter? In other words, uh, let me say it like this. If you're like me and you're a believer and you, you, you very well might think, All right, I I want the gospel to advance, right? I'm for that. That's a good thing. But would I really want it to advance if it meant my suffering? Would I still be really, not not only okay with it, but but joyful? And if you're like me, I kind of start to think like, well, I want the gospel to advance, but I don't know that I really care that much, do I? Or maybe you're not a believer, and you're thinking, you know, why in the world would somebody care about that at all? And so I struggled with, all right, so do we talk about that on the front end or the back end? We'll probably do both. But So I want to take just a second and think about that question. What was it, what is it about the gospel 
why should it matter that much? Why did it get Paul so worked up that he could look at his suffering the way that he did? And so look, just a couple of thoughts real quick on that. And the first is this. We have to look at the very nature of what the gospel is. The fact that God is going to advance his gospel is thrilling to Paul. So what is the gospel? You know, we should probably take a second and think about it. What is it? Well, in its most basic form, I think we could say that the gospel, right, the word means good news. It's basically the good news that God is going to fix everything that's wrong with the universe. That he's going to fix everything wrong with it. The, the Bible and history is basically the story of a king. Of how God, who is the king, that he made everything. And most importantly, he made people. The, the, the pinnacle of creation. But those people rejected him. And even though he, he built Adam and Eve and us, right, to be his representatives on earth, to, to rule on earth, right, in his place for him. Even though he built us that way, uh, we've rejected him. And we've brought in all sorts of evil and, and sin into the world. But the gospel is the good news that even in light of that, that God, is gonna, that God has come as the king, he's come himself to, to fix that. He's come to defeat evil. He's come to put creation back the way it's supposed to be. He's come to change, uh, change his people's hearts. He's come to bring life where there's death. And then more specifically, that it, it's the good news that he did that in the person and work of Jesus. Right? That he came, that he came and he took his people's place. And he lived the life that we should live rightly but can't and he died the death that we should die that we deserve but don't want to certainly and he did it he did it because he loves us and he gives us all of that for free that's the gospel it's basically what we talked about last week that God gives us salvation he gives us life absolutely for free it's ours if we want to take it And that very fact in and of itself, right, the, if you grab hold of that at all, and if you're reflective about it at all, just that very truth in and of itself is going to, it necessarily has to go out, right? Like it necessarily, it's going to work its way. We want to see that go to other people. We, we, we'll get excited about the gospel advancing, this is probably a terrible illustration, but I thought about it like this. You know what it's like when you're leaving some big sporting event or some, you know, where there's just hundreds if not thousands of cars. And all the, you know, cars are trying to leave the, uh, the smaller roads to get into the bigger, you know, more main roads. And you know how it goes. The only way you're getting from your smaller row into the, to the main flow of traffic is if somebody lets you in, right? Ideally, we're all alternating, taking turns. And if you get in, when you get in, it's only because somebody let you. And then, if you're reflective about that fact at all, almost just by necessity, you're, you're going to let some people in, right? 
If you think about it, even for a second, look, the only fact I'm going the right way and now I'm actually heading towards home and I'm making some progress here, it's because somebody let me in. When, so, when you see somebody else trying to get in, it's just, if you're reflective at all, right, you're going to think, I, I want to see this happen because I know what it's like to be them. We're going to want to see the gospel advance because it's to the glory of God, the God that saved us. And the last thought that I want to give you real quick is this, that I think what will get us excited about seeing the gospel advance, one thing, is as we begin to realize that that God's kingdom really is the fundamental reality of the whole universe. I think part of what Paul has grasped is the fact that, that God's kingdom, the fact that he's bringing his reign and rule here, that he's going to make everything right, He's grabbed hold of the truth that that is going to win. Whether you believe it or not, whether you want it to or not, it's going to happen. And so he's excited about it. I mean, almost in the sense of, like, look, you can either get on board with that and enjoy it and go with it and see the beauty in it, or you can fight it and, and, you know, fruitlessly. I thought about it like this. I have a couple of friends uh, that are actually from different generations, but they have one thing in common. So Kurt and my friend Sam, uh, they have a lot in common. But one thing they have in common is that they both, and this was several, several years ago, they did not like technology. It just, you know, they're the like, you know, I don't need email, like that guy. Don't, don't really, you know, send, you know, shoot me an email like, I don't, I don't do that. And look, you can fight technology all you want to, right? You can be the not get an email guy, but you're not going to win. You're going to lose and you're, you're just going to be irrelevant. Or you can, you can get on board. And I think a little bit of what Paul is, 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 has seen is the fact that this is going to win, And so what it does, as opposed to fighting it, swimming upstream hopelessly, he's going with the grain of the universe, so to speak. And because he's doing that, it gives his life real meaning. He's actually a part of, and you and I can be a part of, the story of the world. Of the fact that God's kingdom is going to win in the end. And if you're with it, then your life has great meaning. And so you're going to be excited about the gospel advancing. All right. So hopefully, very quickly, we've given a couple thoughts about why should that even matter to us at all? So I want to, now we sort of dig into our passage where we see a second point that how does it change the fact that the gospel is advancing? How does it change how we understand our circumstances or our suffering? Because it, it certainly seems to for Paul. So remember what's going on with Paul. Paul is in prison for because he is preaching and, and proclaiming the gospel. He's now in prison. So he's probably in prison in Rome. There's some debate about this, but don't worry about it. He's probably in prison in Rome, and he's probably actually in a sort of house arrest, a place that he is allowed to rent, and he has to stay there, and he's, he's chained to a Roman soldier, literally chained to this, you know, uh, one of the imperial guard. 
They probably take, you know, 8, 10, 12-hour shifts. So he is chained to this one, you know, one given guy for long stretches of time. Can't leave his house. So, I mean, think about that. Like, you're literally chained up. Those things hurt. That's not fun. You have no privacy. You're not going anywhere. You have no idea how long. And, and this is Paul. Right? Why in the world would God take his number one missionary, a guy who is geared, who all he wants to do is go out and tell people about Jesus? Why would, why would God take him and stick him there? It just doesn't seem to make any sense. But Paul, in our passage, right, you see it there, Paul says this has actually served to advance the gospel. The very fact that he is imprisoned is actually serving to advance the gospel in ways that he could have never imagined. And he's thrilled about it. And it actually begins to change, or rather I should say, it's in light of that that he understands his circumstances. It's changed the way he he endures this suffering. Because, look, no doubt, it's still suffering. It's not fun. It's not like Paul saying, like, that's actually pretty cool. Chained up. It's not fun. So how is it doing this? How has it worked its way out? All right, first, it's two ways. First, it's gone through the whole imperial guard. You see that in verse 13. So think about it. If you're chained, literally, to the Apostle Paul for, let's say, 10 hours, what do you think you're going to talk about? At some point, right, maybe the whole time, you're going to hear about Jesus. That's what Paul's all about. You're going to hear about Jesus. And so it seems like that at least some, maybe all of the guys that were chained to Paul got converted because of what they heard. Probably, certainly because of what they saw. They see this man telling them these things about Jesus, and he evidently believes it so much that he's actually enduring this pretty well. He even has some joy. He even seems to care about them, the very people that have chained him up. And so these guys get converted, and think about that. Once you begin to infect, that's, that's in quotes, right? Once you begin to infect the imperial guard, the army of the Roman Empire, right? what do those soldiers do? They go out. And as the Roman Empire spreads, it, it takes Christianity with it. Right? If you think of it, it's, it's brilliant. You know, in a million years, it, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Why would you chain up Paul? But it's brilliant. Secondly, Paul tells us another way it's working. He says the people in the church at Rome saw that Paul's imprisonment was actually spreading the gospel. Right? He says that some of the people in the church are actually encouraged by this. They're seeing that this is actually working. Right? You can imagine if, you know, at first preaching the gospel landed Paul in jail, and so you might be a little nervous. You're going to ease up with that maybe. But now they're beginning to see this is actually doing good things for the gospel. My worst case scenario is I go to prison and spread the gospel even more. And so they've gotten emboldened by that. So it's served to advance the gospel in that way. So as Paul sees all of this happening, like we've said, he begins to 
He understands his circumstances in light of that truth. That God is actually using it for good. And it's not, it's not even in spite of his suffering. But what Paul recognizes is that somehow it's because of his suffering that God is doing these great things. In other words, Paul has begun to see, even if just a little bit, that his suffering is not in vain and that it's actually even purposeful. And that, that brings him joy, even in the midst of suffering. I want to give you one more quick aspect that helps us to see this. Uh, look at verse 16. When Paul says uh, that he knows that he is put here for the defense of the gospel, that word, the Greek word for put here, it's actually a, mili- a very specific military term. And it's basically the idea of stationed. Paul says, essentially, I, God has stationed me here, imprisoned, chained to this guy, these guys. I, I'm, on, I'm on a mission. This is not just accidental. It's not like God just takes this bad situation and then reacts and like, oh man, gosh, Paul got arrested. I got to figure out how to make that work. No, he put him there on purpose. Very specific. It's all, you can almost picture the guy that he's chained to thinking, you know, I'm here, I am stationed here as a soldier for your sake. You can almost picture Paul thinking, no, it's actually the other way around. He sees that God has put him here very specifically, very purposefully. And even though it doesn't seem to make any sense, it, it doesn't seem to make any sense until you see it through the kingdom glasses. Let me give you an illustration uh, that I heard about. A guy named William Borden. He was born in 1887, a long time ago. He's dead now, as you'll hear. He was born to a very, very wealthy family. Uh, he was a believer, and he went to Yale University. And in his time at Yale, he did amazing things for Jesus. He had almost everybody on campus organized into prayer groups. He worked to evangelize literally almost everyone on campus. He was, a, he was a mover and shaker for the gospel, so to speak. He did great things. And after he graduated, he decided or as he was graduating, upon graduation, he knew that he wanted to go and be a missionary to Muslims in China. He gave up all his wealth, right? didn't go back and run the family business and be unimaginably wealthy. He wanted to go to China and be a missionary. And so as he's sailing for China, he had planned to stop for a year in Egypt, I believe, and he's going to learn Arabic for a year so that he could go into China and and evangelize Muslims. He was there four months, and he got meningitis and he died. That's it. Now, what sense does that make? To take this guy who is incredibly gifted, who's who's got incredible passion. I mean, for goodness sakes, he wants to go to China and be a missionary. And he he actually doesn't even make it to China. And he dies. He's 25 years old. What kind of sense does that make? But what happens is that when he dies, 
basically every newspaper in, in America uh, prints some sort of bio of this guy. And he ends up inspiring tons of folks unto missions because of how amazing his story was. And somebody takes his biography and uh, translates it in five different languages for uh, Muslims in China and like 35,000 copies somehow get into China and it actually ended up making inroads uh, for missionary stations in places that had never been reached before. And so it doesn't seem to make any sense until you see it through the eyes of the kingdom. So what does that mean for us? So that's great for William Borden, but what about me and you? First, and we don't have time to talk about this, it means that, of course, we should see the entirety of our lives, if you're a believer, through, through kingdom lens. But particularly, I want to focus on our suffering, our, our circumstances in life. It means that you and I can begin to see that our suffering the hard times that we go through, that it actually might have a purpose. And, and not just might have a purpose, but the beauty of this is that it does. You can know it has a purpose. Even if you can't quite see it. William Borden didn't see it, right? He died. He didn't know that his death was going to open up untold inroads into China. So it begins to change how we look at, at, at the tough times we go through. To think that, that to know that, like, I don't know why this is happening, but I do know this. Yes, it's hard, but God is going to use this somehow to advance his gospel. And so it changes how we might think about when you're in, when you're in that terrible situation with your roommate. And it just is not working at all. And you want out. It, it informs, it helps us to understand how we, uh, when, you're, when you're in that class and, you, and the teacher just hates you. The teacher just doesn't like you. Why would God do that? I don't know. But there's a purpose. What about when your financial situation changes for the worse? And all of a sudden, you've got to to, to keep up with Baylor tuition to stay here, you've got you've to get a job now. Why would God do that? Or maybe you've got to take out loans. You're going to have a lot of debt. And that wasn't your plan. And that's hard. Or maybe you have to leave Baylor. Why would God do that? Uh, maybe, or what about when Rush doesn't go well? When you get cut, uh, when you don't get what you want. This truth helps us to understand that like, I, I don't completely understand it, but I know there's a purpose. What about when you get sick? What about when you get really sick? Maybe terminally sick. What about when you get broken up with? Or what about if you're persecuted for your faith? What if you're put in jail? Why would God do those things? But look, Paul's telling us here, if you put your kingdom glasses on, you can at least know this. It does have a purpose. 
that he's going to advance his gospel, and that's good news. And there's joy in that. All right, the last thing I want you to see, thirdly, how does it change how we see ourselves, our reputations? And we're going to have to hustle through this. Um, Because, yeah, we see that pretty clearly here in this passage that uh, the beautiful truth that God is going to advance his gospel no matter what, uh, it changes the way Paul sees himself, the way he sees his reputation. Paul's able to actually let his reputation take a back seat. He actually even finds joy in it. All right, so where do we see that? Look, verse 15 to 18. It's the part about some people preaching Christ from good motives and some people from bad motives. So what's that all about? Like we've said, some folks are encouraged by Paul's suffering and how it's served to advance the gospel. And they're preaching about Jesus now more boldly from good motives. So we get that. But evidently some people are preaching it, Paul says, from bad motives. It's still actually the real gospel. But it's from bad motives and it's somehow to get at Paul, at least partly, to, to afflict him further in his imprisonment. And now look, we don't know exactly what, what that means or you know, what's going on there. But it's, it's probably something like, I think this was the best uh, you know, theory that I, I read. Seems to make a lot of sense. It's probably something at least like this. That Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. So you've got, you've got guys there that are the, uh, they're the church planners. They're the ones that started the church, that everybody looked to. They're the teachers, right? They're the ones that people asked the questions of and listened to and you know, followed. And then Paul sort of comes on the scene, and people begin to start to follow Paul to some degree. But now Paul's in prison. And it very well may be that, that these folks are preaching about Jesus... And, and they're seeing growth. The gospel's advancing. And they're basically looking at Paul and saying like, so, so what do you think about that? How do you like that? How's your church growth going? Sitting in prison. We're banging on all cylinders here. We've got it going on. You know, good luck with your uh, prison ministry. Like two guys a day. That's what they're thinking. But Paul is able to look at He's able to look at that and to take those shots and say, you know what? <laughs> it, that's fine. If my reputation is, it just really doesn't matter to me that much because the gospel's advancing. If, if me looking like an idiot is somehow serving to further the gospel, that is fine with me. And he's able to sort of give himself up a little bit. It made me think about, I saw it today on SportsCenter. It's evidently sort of this current trend of college football coaches. They end up, they're going to recruits, right? You go to somebody's living room, you're trying to get them to come to your school. And very recently, through this recruiting season, they all end up dancing. Is anybody else following this? No? All right, trust me. Promise it's happening. Coach ends up doing some sort of ridiculous dance, right? Like whip and nay-nay kind of stuff. To show that he's like hip and with it, and you know, and so they get on video and eat, you know, so you know, like, uh, you know, Dabo, Swe- Dabo Sweeney did it, so you know, now this guy's got to do it. And this morning I saw Nick Saban doing the uh, the wobble, right? Which I had to Google, but that's fine. And he looks like an idiot. So why would he do that? Right? This is <laughs> if you know anything about Nick Saban. Not a, not a wobbler. <laughs> but he doesn't care. 
right? He's willing to, he's willing to look like an idiot if it's going to advance the program. Because he cares about that more than looking like an idiot. He's able to say, you know what, if me doing this somehow helps, that's fine. Because that is what I want. That's what I really care about. So look, what does that mean for us? What if we grabbed hold of that? What would it look like? It means that you and I could lay down our reputations and not have to fight for them. Because the important thing is the gospel. It means that you and I, if, if and since this is true, it means you and I could, could actually be willing to be embarrassed for the sake of the gospel. That we could actually be honest about uh, our, our sin, about who we really are. That other people might look at us and see us and say, oh, wait, that, you, you're not all I thought you were. Because the gospel is going to advance. Because that's the heart of the gospel. To see, I'm not all that. In fact, I'm terrible. But God is good. And he saves people like me. It means that we can let people look at us. People can look at us and think that we're, we're foolish for being a Christian. And that's okay. It means that we could actually lose face or at least not save face, and actually say, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I did that, I did wrong, and I'm sorry to people. Because the gospel is going to advance. It means that we could actually begin to say no to people. Even if this is something good, we'd actually have the freedom to say no to things that we should say no to. Because we wouldn't be under the tyranny of what they're going to think about us. Because we're, we're freed up from the opinions of other people. Because what we care about is the gospel advancing. And what we care about is what Jesus thinks about us. So we don't have to be slaves anymore <clears throat> to what, what people think about us. And let, let me just end with this thought. Gone too long already. The gospel says that Jesus loves you, that he lives for you, that he died for you, that he rose for you, that he reigns now for you, and that he's with you, that he really does love you, and that all of that's yours for free. So look, what, why in the world would you love that gospel? How could you love that gospel so much that you might be willing to suffer for it? that you might be willing to lay down your reputation. How, what could motivate that? And what, the only thing that's going to motivate it is the truth that Jesus laid down his perfect reputation and he took up yours and mine. He gave up his reputation because he loves you. And he endured, because he did that, he took on suffering like no one else has ever known. And it was suffering that served an amazing purpose. What sense does it make to take the sinless Son of God and put Him on a cross? That doesn't make any sense. Unless it's going to save the world. The purpose in His suffering was to redeem me and you.
because he loves us. And that message is going to win, and because it is, you and I can have great joy. That's the good news. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for that truth. Uh, Father, your kingdom will advance and it will win. Lord, would we be a part of it? Would you change us so that, so that we love it? And would the truth that it's going to advance, would it cause us to understand our, our trials differently? Would it cause us to understand ourselves differently? So that we might uh, rejoice in you. And we ask it in your name. Amen.